It is a uh, thrill for me to introduce our speaker for chapel this morning. Uh, Reverend Kevin Smith is a native of West Philadelphia. I'm going to say it. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but go Eagles. Yeah, that works. That works. Uh, he studied. He has studied at Penn State, at Temple University, at Westminster Seminary, and Chesapeake Seminary. He's been a church planner and a pastor in Maryland, Florida, and is currently the pastor of New City Fellowship Glenwood in Chattanooga. There you go. He and his wife, Sandra, have four daughters, including our own Joanna Smith. Um, Kevin, Kevin is a man of, of keen insight, uh, of godly wisdom, and he is an awesome friend. Please give a warm Scots welcome to Reverend Kevin Smith. Wow, it's a thrill to be here with you all and to, man, I love this place. Like I just left. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I just left. Anyway, thank you, Chappie. That's what I call your chaplain. He's Chappie to me, man. I love, I love this man of God and it's a privilege to be able to bring you the word of God this morning. So, if you happen to have a Bible somewhere on your person, in your phone, okay, no phones, right? Are you allowed to have phones? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, if you have a Bible somewhere, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 12, and we're going to look at a few verses, really the entire chapter, but I want to introduce you to someone who's become a hero to me. I just came across her uh, a few weeks ago, and um, man, what a woman of God. So, Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse... 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in a two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Well, they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Father, bless the reading of the word to our hearts, and now as the word is preached, will you use your unworthy servant to preach the truth of Christ. And may we encounter Jesus. And may we be once again blown away by who Jesus is. And may we surrender ourselves to him anew. In Christ's name, amen. You know, I found out this, especially as I've gotten older, but I think the Bible backs it up. Nothing shows where your heart is like your view of money. Or more broadly, what your view of treasure is. The patron saint of the city, Tim Keller, has written, Jesus was saying that there is something radically wrong with all of us, but money has particular power to blind us to it. In fact, it has so much power to deceive us of our true spiritual state that we need a gracious, miraculous intervention from God to see it. It's impossible without God, without a miracle, without grace. We need God to show us what we truly treasure because we're blinded. 
especially as American Christians, when we have so much, when, we, when you think about the fact that the middle class in America lives better than a good portion of the world, we need grace. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. What do you really treasure most? What do you treasure most? Why are you in college? Why are you here? I hope you want to get a job when you're done. Your parents want you to get a job when you're done. Trust me. (laughs) it's, It's nothing wrong with wanting to make money or to have a nice standard of living to maybe live to the standard your parents have, have, had you, have made you accustomed to, or maybe even better. There's nothing wrong with that, but what is your treasure? What truly has your heart? So this morning, we're going to go on a little bit of a treasure hunt, you might call it. Now, let's set the context. This is, the context is very important. It's striking that in chapter 12, as chapter 12 begins, actually chapter 11, you find that Jesus is walking in the temple. That's very striking. The temple is where the people understood the presence of God to be. It was the place where God was worshipped. It was the place where, if they had it at that time, they didn't, but it would have been the place where the Ark of the Covenant was and which would be the throne of God. The temple was a place where God dwelt. And yet, something striking has happened. The temple has come to the temple. Because in Jesus, a new place of where God is worshipped, a new place where the presence of God is, a new place where the throne, where the reign of God is exemplified has come. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has come to the man-made temple. He is the true temple. And the strange thing about it is that chapter 12 is all about conflict. The true temple has come, and he's not welcomed. In chapter 11, around verse 27, um, as he's walking in the temple, the scribes and the elders came to him, and they questioned him about his authority his authoritative teaching, but also he had just cleansed the temple. He had just shown, once again, that, the, that he is Lord of the temple, that this is a place of God's worship, and he, being God in human flesh, has come, and he has the authority to cleanse, to set the worship right in his temple. And so they're asking him, who do you think you are? What, by what authority do you do these things? So he, Jesus questions them and tells them a parable. That parable is actually in chapter 12, those first old 12 verses or so. He tells a parable, and basically he tells a parable against them, against the religious leaders. And they realize that. They realize he spoke this parable against them, so now they are truly upset, and they begin to test him in hopes of trapping him. They ask him questions. Several questions, but he stops them when they get to the question of the two greatest commandments, which is love God and love neighbor, which they do not do, by the way. Yet this is the heart 
of faith and true proof that we are in the kingdom. The scribe who asked the question even when, G- when Jesus says, okay, what do you say? And he, and he gives the right answer. The scribe gives the right answer. What is the greatest commandment? What is this, the commandment above all commandments? And the scribe says, okay, I think I know Jesus. It's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what Jesus says, twin? You're not far from the kingdom. You're not far from the kingdom. You mean he's not in the kingdom? He gave the right answer. The scribe gave the right answer. By the way, this is verses 28 uh, down to verse 34. That's where that encounter takes place. Verse 34 is where he says, you're not far from the kingdom. He's not, he gave the right answer. How is it that he's not in the kingdom? He's not in the kingdom because right statements of theology alone are not enough. Covenant College students, Reformed people, right statements of theology. It's not enough. It's an affair of the heart. It's what we love, or more, or more accurately, who we love, that says whether we're truly in the kingdom. Oh, we need right theology. You got, you got to know the truth, but that truth is meant to bring you to a person because uh, Jesus says, I am the truth. And listen, this, this, this idea of loving God and loving neighbor, understand something. What Jesus is saying is that if we love God, the, the, we will love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you haven't encountered the love of God. So I to suggest to you that the truest test of whether we are growing in our love of God and neighbor is not do we love those just like us. You are no better than a Pharisee. Right theology, and we love people just like us. Ethnically, social economically, nationally, we love people just like us. Then we're just a bunch of Pharisees. But he says, I suggest to you that a true test of whether you love your neighbor is whether you are pursuing a selfless love for those who are not like you. Oh, what a thought. Isn't that what Jesus said in the parable of the Good Samaritan, commenting on this very text? It's not whether you love people like you that demonstrates you're in the kingdom, that you have a real love for God. No, it's it's, it's whether you, out of love for Jesus, do you love people Not like you. Hmm. The Pharisees with their right theology weren't in the kingdom. The chapter ends with the dear widow. I'm I'm, I'm getting, I'm working my way there, y'all. The chapter ends with this dear widow who giving out of her poverty all she has to live on, she puts everything into the treasury, thus showing that her true treasure is not of this world. Her treasure is the God of heaven. 
She loves God supremely. She's all in for the treasure that matters most. How many of you have ever played poker? I see a few of you out there. Don't, don't be, be honest, I know. And, and, and you, you ever get a hand, you ever get down to, you got maybe a, a few chips left and, you know, you, and, and, and the pot's looking good. I'm talking, you're playing with Skittles or something like that, not money. <clears throat> Twizzlers or something. Anyway, and you recognize the pot. It's like, oh my goodness, you got the hand and you realize you need that pot. You want that pot. You've got to have that pot because you're desperate. You know you're about to be out. So what do you do? You got a good hand, so you, what do you do? You go all in. That widow went all in. No chips on the side, nothing in her sock. She goes all in because the treasure, the treasure is worth it. She realized it. She didn't know then, but she probably realized later that Jesus was God's greatest treasure, God's greatest gift. She is in contrast to all those great theologians in chapter 12 who rejected Jesus. All those great religious folk in chapter 12 who rejected Jesus. Now let's look at the text real quick. Listen, I mean, this is beautiful. Jesus is actually people watching. I mean, what do you think about it? He's people watching. He sat down opposite verse 41, the treasury, and watched the people putting money into the offering box. He noticed, first of all, the rich givers. They showed up with large sums of money, and, and, and we believe those containers they were putting in were, like, were metal. And so you could hear, remember, their currency was not paper. It was metal, gold and silver and coins, copper, whatever. And they're, they're tr- boom, boom. You're hearing the, their money hit the, they're dropping in large sums. Boom, boom, boom. It's loud. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 about giving, about people who give and make a fanfare of their giving. I am now giving. I have large sums of money, and I am giving to the poor. Clunk, clunk, clunk. This is just so funny. He's watching this. This is crazy. And, and, and kind of remind, so there are people like that who give that way, but then it kind of reminds me of another guy back in Mark chapter 10. And he's important. In Mark chapter 10, you have the power, you have the encounter of the rich young ruler. You remember him. He's the guy who said he kept all the commandments, which meant he actually gave to the poor. He was a very religious guy, and, but yet there was something wrong with him. Jesus t- challenges him in, in chapter 10, say around verse 23. And Jesus had challenged, actually before that, he had challenged him to sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure where? In heaven, and come follow me. The guy says, hold it now. You're going too far, Jesus. You're asking me to give up my treasure. You can't ask me, can't can I have you and my treasure? Can I, can I love my treasure as much as I love you? And, and, and so he goes away because he said, man, I, I, you know, I'm middle class. I'm American. I'm middle class. I got, stuff. I got stuff here. He goes away, and so he's discouraged. And Jesus says of him in chapter 20, 10, verse 23, he looked around, said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
disciples were amazed at his words because they think people who got stuff, they're the ones, the wealthy are the ones. They're the ones blessed of God. That's why they have so much. And you're saying they can't get in? (laughs) So they're confused. So he says in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, because he loved his, because he's making a, a general statement that if you love your treasure more than him, you're not in the kingdom. Then, so that's the rich folk. Then this little old lady comes up. Can you see her? She's probably a little bent over. She's wrinkled. And she's walking probably a little slow. Maybe wearing black. She walks up to the container. Huh? Does she put anything in? That's two small copper coins, and according to our understanding of money, it's less than a penny. We would say she put in nothing. Nothing. Try putting that in the offering place in your church, and people will say, hold it now. We want some quiet money. She put in nothing. You can't run a ministry on that kind of giving. But she did it quietly, and I'm sure with great humility. She put in. Now watch how Jesus assesses this. In verses 43 and 44, he's going to assess the givers now. She put in all that she had, what what Jesus says, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. He says she gave the most. See, they gave out of their abundance. They had tons of, in their cases, they were the rich. They had lots of dough. They gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her poverty. Maybe she was one of those widows who, if if you look back in, in verse 40 of chapter 12, maybe she was one of those widows whose house had been devoured by the scribes who then go on to make long prayers, Jesus says. Maybe she had been taken advantage of by them in the name of God. (laughs) Wow. But this poor woman gave more than all of them. Christ wants all that we have. Because he wants us to find him as our treasure. Notice this. She exemplifies everything that the religious leaders don't. And and, and back up to to verse 30 and 31. In her devotion to God, she exemplifies. Listen, what does 30 and 31 say? Again, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. She exemplifies that. This poor little widow is the one, only one in the chapter who exemplifies what it means to love God supremely. 
This poor widow, remember back, I know you're not familiar with the chapter, but but early on in the chapter, verse 13, when they asked Jesus, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God. She, this widow, is the only one in the chapter who truly renders to God the things that are God. She gives it all. This poor widow is the best theologian we see here, for she applied the truth of God's word to her life. It wasn't just right theology. She actually lived it. She was gripped by the living God. She was gripped by the truth. This poor widow exemplifies what it means to depend upon God. But Jesus says she gave all that she had, even all that she had to live on. She was all in. She shows what it means to depend upon God. We talk like we depend upon God. She does. Sometimes our stuff can get in the way. Our material stuff can get in the way of true dependence upon the Lord. Sometimes he takes stuff so we can learn to depend upon him. The rich young ruler loved his wealth and that is what he was missing. He, he was, he's in love with it. His supreme love gave, his supreme love of his wealth gave him his identity. But Jesus offers a new love that gives us a new identity so that our material possessions will not define us. She was not defined by wealth. She was not even defined by her poverty. She was defined by her faith in the living God. That's what makes her, in one sense, a hero to us, though she's not the hero of this story by any stretch of the word. Her faith in God freed her to give everything to God rather than in fear to cling to her money, to cling to her earthly treasure, to seek, to cling to that which gives her identity outside of the living God, outside of Jesus. Listen, when you, what are you clinging to that gives you identity outside of Jesus? What is it? Because some of you are clinging to something. Let's be honest, we're all clinging to something. We're all idolaters at heart. We're all clinging. We're all scared. But God wants us to find in him a love that is so supreme and so encompassing, so engrossing, so magnificent that everything else pales. Are you all in yet? But like I said, the widow is not really the hero of the story. I mean, she's great, and we love her, and I'm I'm impressed with her, that's for sure. But she's not the hero or the heroine of the story. Jesus and Jesus alone is the hero here, because Jesus and Jesus alone gives up all of his great riches for the Father's glory that he might have you. He gave up all his riches. He and he alone is the supreme, the ultimate 
rich, young ruler. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, says it so wonderfully. And, it, and Paul, he says it because so, he, he's, 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 talk, he's talking to people that he's already given the gospel to. And he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he says, for you know that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. He gives up everything to make wretched poor people like you and me rich beyond our wildest dreams. He and he alone loves God with all his heart and his neighbor as himself, even to the point of death. Jesus is the only one who does that. Fully and rightly, we're growing, but no, he does it supremely and rightly. He is the one who, out of love for the Father, get, turns to his neighbor, us, his, the, his enemies, actually, and shows us supreme love, we who are unlike him. The unholy, and the holy lays down his life. He loves us as he loves himself and brings us to glory. He and he alone is the greatest of theologians, for he is the actual word incarnate who kept all the law in our place. There's no theologian like Jesus. Yeah, he's also the stone that the builders rejected. The parable in the beginning of the chapter. But he is now the cornerstone of this new temple who came to that temple. And those who believe in him become stones in this great spiritual dwelling. The new temple crosses ethnic crosses national, geographic, language boundaries. The new temple isn't just made of white people, Americans, evangelicals, reformed folk. It's made of people who don't look like you, but who bear the image of God just like you do. Flawed, yes. This new temple is striking. You see, the kingdom of God is the supreme love affair with God through faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit. Supreme love affair. She got it. But Jesus, Jesus is the only one who does it perfectly. Amazing. Our patron saint once again says, the heart of the gospel is the cross, and the cross is all about giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving. So let me ask you a question or two, I guess, I don't know. 
does Jesus want all that you have? And the answer is, you bet your life he does. Do you think he died for just a portion of you? What does Paul mean when he says, present yourselves a living sacrifice? Present all of it, everything you got. Give it, hey! Does Jesus want all of you and all that you have? Yes. Supreme love like that demands all. All. How can we not, how can we, how can we not go all in? How can we keep some chips on the side? How can we say, well, Lord, I'll give you this, but you know something? I want to keep something here on the side. I want to keep something for me. But how is it possible that we can respond to divine love and say, you know something? It's all, you know, that's pretty good love. I, I, I got you. you. That's pretty good, Lord, but I, I'm not all in yet. His love demands everything. What earthly treasure are you clinging to? Practically speaking, do you give? But I'm a college student, Pastor Fred. Come on, Red Kid. I, I got nothing. I'm broke. You think you're broker than she was? Do you give? Time, talent, treasure. Do you give? Do you think somehow when you leave college and you've been holding all your stuff, keeping everything for you, and when you graduate covenant, you're going to start giving? You're not giving now. You're not going to give later too easily either. Are you giving? Do you live as if Jesus is your great treasure? What would it look like if he did? Just ask you, you think about this. Do you live like Jesus is your great treasure? And what would it look like if you did? The good news of the, of the gospel is that Jesus treasures you As messed up as you are, he treasures you. You are his treasure. You are his inheritance. He shed his blood that he might have you for the glory of his Father. So now what do you treasure? What do you love? Who do you love? May Jesus give us grace, all of us grace, to know what it means to love God supremely, to give all that we have, because we've been captivated by a love that won't let us go, a love that is supreme, a love that in our worst moments, in our deepest, darkest moments, a love that will sustain us and strengthen us. A love that is good for this life and the life to come.
Father, we must confess, Lord, that we don't love you supremely. And we certainly don't love our neighbor as ourselves very well. But thank you that you didn't save us because we did those things right. You saved us that you might work in us what is pleasing in your sight. Will you work in us here at Covenant College? Will you work in my, my young friends here, my brothers and sisters, sons and daughters? Will you work in them so that, Lord, they might treasure Jesus more than anything? You work in them that they might surrender themselves to you. That they really know what it means to love their neighbors as themselves because they love you supremely. You work in them that, Lord, when they graduate from this great institution, they would truly be used of you to, to reveal your kingdom throughout the world. Thank you for each one. Watch over and keep them. Bless their lives. May your word not fall on hard hearts. In Christ's name, amen.